we're trying to figure out what story the writer's trying to express and how, but we're doing it through the work they've already created. And we're going through and seeing what works, what doesn't work, where they need to figure out the characters more. And they're all very different types of storytelling, but they're equally rewarding. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello there and welcome back to the show. My name's Rick Nusky. It's great to have you with us. It's been a little bit of a time since we had our last episode. I was being fortunate to have a bit of a break away from the mic, but I tell you what, I'm very excited because today I'm on the line with the a wonderful Douglas Weissman. Welcome to the show, Douglas. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Now, you and I, we're going to be talking about your work as an indie author. We're going to be talking about uh, your uh, your writing work in particular. And we're going to be talking about actually what it takes to write a book, because there's certainly a process behind it. We're going to take a deep dive into all of the different methodologies that you use to successfully market your books, along with much, much more. But before we do that, Douglas, it's uh, I guess it's a little bit... Uh, customary if you like for us to spend a bit of time learning a little bit more about you now we've just touched on your wonderful wife and kids uh, i wonder if you could just tell tell us a little bit about where you are where you're calling in from today absolutely so i live in the los angeles area i Beautiful. grew up here actually in the suburbs of los angeles and i seem to find my way back no matter how far i i find myself <laughs> i love la having been there a couple of times myself what do you like about it the weather well, normally the weather is great. Uh, I mean, I grew up with <laughs> nice weather. It's changed over the last 10 years, so it's not something I'm familiar with. But my family's here. My wife's family's here. So staying close to family is something that's been really important to us. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what do you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy doing your own things or things with family? What's your pastime look like? Oh, hugely connected to things with family. I have a three-year-old, so a lot oh. of the time revolves around her, and she knows. <laughs> You're busy. Gravity. <laughs> absolutely. But... If I'm not doing stuff with my wife and my daughter or my general immediate family in the area, I yep. love to hike. There's so much great hiking even inside Los Angeles, let alone kind of on the on the fringes of Los Angeles County. The beaches are great. There's some really great coastal towns that are maybe 30 to 45 minutes outside of kind of the more famous areas in Los Angeles that are just gorgeous and so much fun to visit. And there's a lot of antique shops and bookshops and record stores that going in there makes me feel like a teenager again. Yeah, no, it's interesting we're talking about this and locations because you've done a lot of work as a travel writer. We're going to be talking about that in a moment. But uh, tell me, do you enjoy uh, sports? I love sports, but my, my thing about sports is more camaraderie, right? So ah. I will pay attention to kind of all of the sports going on in a way that I can then either make fun of or commiserate with my friends <laughs> as opposed to other than the Dodgers. I am a huge Dodgers fan <laughs> because like three generations of being Dodgers fans. So my grandfather who grew up in Brooklyn was the first Dodger fan and then passed it down to my father when they moved to Los Angeles and then the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. So it's kind of been a whole family entanglement. Now you and I touched uh, uh, earlier on uh, lockdowns and things like that. Do you did you have much time, or do you still have much time for movies? Do you enjoy a movie now and then? 
Oh, I love movies so much. <laughs> I just love to absorb stories in any form. And so reading books and watching movies are two of my favorite pastimes other than being outdoors in some fashion. But it's just the stories they tell and the way that they're able to tell it. So and plus, I love the way that a movie can bring across kind of the whimsy of life and the whimsy of a place. And it's something that doesn't necessarily translate in the same way in a book. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about storytelling. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that in a moment. But uh, with regards to books, do you enjoy picking up a, a hardback or is there a space for you in terms of audiobooks? I love both, actually. So I doubled the amount of books I read just by adding audiobooks to my reading sensibilities, which was something that didn't happen until really COVID. And I was spending more time walking around and trying to make space for myself as opposed to kind of always sitting inside because I worked remote since 2013. So I was mm -hmm. familiar with that end, but not making that space outside for myself. But audiobooks, I listen to them in the car. I listen to them when I walk, <laughs> them when I hike. So it enables me to absorb that many more stories without actually having to trip over a rock when I'm trying to read a hardcover when hiking. Yeah, I think it's timely to ask you this question. Do you have any of your books in audio format? Not at the moment, but it's definitely something that I'm moving towards. I'm mm -hmm. I'm on a mission right now to get Stanley Tucci to read my latest book, Life Between oh. Seconds, because I would love for him to read it. Yeah, fantastic. Now I know that you're a you're an animal lover. You've got some pets. Tell me about your anxious dog. <laughs> my, she is part pit, part lab, part dane. So she's oh, wow. And she is basically Scooby-Doo. She's afraid of everything. She's literally afraid of flies. If there's a fly, a fly in the house, <laughs> she will run to her bed and cower. Just a fly. But then if we're outside in the yard, she'll bark at trains and bark at buses. So it's this really interesting dichotomy between what makes her fearful and then what makes her courageous. She seems to have a beautiful temperament, and I think that's important with a young family. What Do you find that there's um, some some healing properties when you get around pets? Oh, 100%. And my it, it, it's calming, really. And yep, yep. especially with a dog and a cat, and both of them bring so much life and soul to the house. There are times when we'll let the dog sleep over at uh, my, my wife's aunt's house because they're very close, the dog and my aunt and wife. So everybody's entangled. <laughs> but the, so we might just want a quiet night. So maybe the child and the dog will sleep at at our aunt's house and but then the the house feels empty without, yes. without that dog without that presence yeah absolutely thank you very much for sharing now i i, I want to wind back i guess the the pages of time a little bit having a, a young family of your own it might you might find yourself reflecting on your own childhood can you remember growing up and what was it like for you tell us a little bit about it yeah, absolutely. I had a really wonderful childhood. My parents are still together, which today I feel like is something you have to reference. Oh, just yes. It's very special. Yeah. Yep. And they live about 15 minutes away from me and my wife. And my parents live five minutes away from my wife's aunts, who are very close to our family. So it's kind of this whole really fun ecosystem that we've had. But growing up, there was a lot of sports. I have two older siblings. So we did a lot of sports, a lot of theater. My brother loved doing theater. Mm -hmm. And we were really active in youth groups and we were active in our synagogue because we're part of the Jewish community out oh, here. Yes. Yep. So it was always this really fun, really large and grossing <laughs> ecosystem. I, I can't tell you how large my family is, but just as an example, we would have 80 people at our Thanksgiving love and that's it. normal. I absolutely. love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's nothing more powerful than the bond between a, a rock-solid family, and it's a, it's a blessing to have, that's for sure and certain. Now, we talked about parents, and I love to talk about those who we look to as we're growing up in our formative years. Can you remember anybody in your, in your I guess, your young uh, adulthood that you looked to for a, sort of that leadership role in your in your life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my, my parents had their space, of course, as parents do, especially when they're present and, yeah. and they take some trips and they're there for the sports and taking us around. But at the same time, kind of that powerhouse, the, the powerhouse couple that I'm never going to forget that made such an indelible impact on my life would be my grandparents, both sides of my, so my, my mom's and my dad's parents. Yeah. One was, the best way to describe them is growing up, I always felt like my dad's parents were like, Fred and Ethel Mertz from Lucille Ball. Yes, yes. And my mom's parents were like Desi Arnaz and Lucy. Just they, even the way that they all looked together in that state, <laughs> it was so uncanny. But my dad's parents were, they bickered and they were completely old New York Brooklynite Jews. So Love they it. had those sense and they had attitude and they were definitely the patriarch and matriarch where my mom's parents were, they were funnier, they were softer. They had, they were part of, the TV industry in Los Angeles since the late 1940s, early 1950s. So they Fantastic. had these great stories that I still love to hear in that. And both of those groupings really made those connections to storytelling a part of my life. There's so many places that I could take our conversation. You have such a rich tapestry of experiences and a lovely family, and uh, I'm really, really enjoying the call. But I'd love to talk about as a business owner right now, Douglas, if you don't mind, what a typical day looks like for a business owner. Are you an early riser? Tell us a little bit about it. I am an early riser specifically because I have a three-year-old and you just never know <laughs> when she's going to wake up. And I have a routine that I need to stick to in order to feel productive even if it's the same thing every day, my productivity level I will feel really depends on how I wake up in the morning. So I wake up at 4.30, which I don't necessarily recommend to everybody, especially <laughs> three-year-old, but I wake up at 4.30, I do 10 to 20 minutes of kind of meditation, or sometimes it's, I put it on, but fall back asleep for 10 to 20 minutes, but at least I feel like I'm doing something. <laughs> and then I exercise for 30 minutes to an hour, and then I kind of start my day from there. Usually I have enough time to kind of wash, brush my teeth, get ready. And then, mm -hmm. and then my daughter wakes up and by that time it's around six o'clock. So hopefully I get an extra kind of 20 minutes, 30 minutes to start that work mindset. It generally starts with say, uh, posting on LinkedIn or checking my emails that are directly correspondent to business of the day. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not trying to be like updating my Facebook status in order so I can see what <laughs> other people are up to, but it's yeah. strictly business related. And that's how I dive in. But then when my, when my daughter wakes up, it's about getting her ready for school. It's about spending time with her. It's about making breakfast and then taking her to school. Cause I work from home, but my wife works at the office. So generally when she has to go into the office, she leaves far before my daughter would be a class. And we don't recommend putting a three-year-old in preschool before the doors are even open. No. So. <laughs> yeah, funny that, I love it. Thank you again for sharing. Now, you're looking uh, fit and fabulous. And I'm just wondering, um, in terms of your diet, um, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Do you just drink water? What's your thing? I am a tea drinker. I love tea. I never really got into coffee. There's something about it mm. that it's weird because I love black 
bitter dark tea but that yep. same bitterness that you find in coffee is the thing that i don't like about it so it's this i don't know why i don't know what it is but tea also is comforting it gives me the energy i want or need i also just love to hold on to a hot cup yeah. any time of day no matter how hot it is but i also drink tons of water i used to have one of those giant encouragement uh, i don't even mugs or yes, water yes. bottles yep. that were like it was like two liters and I would drink three to four of those before one o'clock in the afternoon, but then it broke and I haven't got another one. I still drink <laughs> water. It's just that that's the amount I would drink. I would drink two liters of, I would, let me rephrase that. I would drink four, two liter mugs of water. Oh, before one wow. Of that's so I still, crazy. I'm still on that mark. I just yeah. love drinking water. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Thank you again for sharing this. Now there are two ends of the spectrum of our day. There's the morning, the afternoon, and I personally am a bit of a morning person. When do you find you, yourself being the most productive? Oh, it's definitely in the morning. It hasn't always been that way. I had to train myself to be that way. And it came around in about 2012, 2013, I was in grad school and I had I was working two waiting jobs. I was going to graduate school and I was also doing an internship. And on the days that I would do the internship, I'd have to, I was living in San Francisco and I'd have to yep. travel to Berkeley and I'd have to be there by, I think it was eight or 8.30 in the morning. So the only time I would be able to exercise would be at about five in the morning. So yep. I would wake up, I would exercise, get ready, travel to Berkeley, do, Ber do my internship, then travel back to San Francisco and either go directly to my job waiting tables or go directly across the city to campus so I can start class. And that was five days a week would basically be that schedule. So I had to make sure that I could fit it in. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, so that, that trained me to be a morning person. Yeah, fantastic feedback. Now, I, I think about compartmentalization. I think about how I break my own day up and I know that having family time is important and relaxation. Do you value those things? And how does the day look like in that regard for you? Oh, 100%. I actually stress myself out more trying to get all my work done in a very specific amount of time so I can spend time with my family. And I try very hard to make sure that once my daughter's home, I don't worry about work and granted it's not always that not way always. yep yeah so and i try not to beat myself up because sometimes new projects happen or people respond to emails late or whatever happens but it's still the majority of the time i make sure that my presence is there with her or there with my wife and even there might be times where okay so now i'm here with my daughter then i put her to bed and then i have to go back to work to finish something mm -hmm. and i much prefer that than than having to ignore these important things only to get work done. Earlier, you touched on um, campus. Now, tell us a little bit about your professional background, your educational background, just for some context. Absolutely. So I went to Cal State University Northridge, which is a hometown school. I grew Yay. up close <laughs> to it. And uh, I even wrote a book. Uh, one of my novels was placed there and had to do with a lot of scary squirrels, just they were incredibly brazen. So, <laughs> but I did go there. I got a undergraduate degree, a bachelor's degree in Italian language and literature. It wasn't necessarily something I expected to take me into the future, but it was something that I was able to graduate with and I really enjoyed. A but stepping it, stone? Yeah, right. A <laughs> stepping stone too. Well, I did. I lived in Italy when I was an undergrad and it gave me an introduction to this kind of different cultural perspective and uh, I really enjoyed that. So I wanted to yeah, stick with yeah. it. I added on a creative writing minor 
which also gave me the super senior year. So I did five years instead of four years. And then after that, I took a year to travel around the world and then returned to Los Angeles because it's got a gravitational pull for me. Uh-huh. Returned to Los Angeles and started applying to graduate schools again, because I didn't get in the first time. So the second time I reapplied and I was able to get in, but in the meantime, I also traveled to South America because I just didn't want to sit still, but it all coalesced because it gave me new experiences, new ideas. So when I went into graduate school at University of San Francisco for their MFA program in creative writing, I was able to use those experiences in the storytelling, which eventually created my latest novel. And it, it creates really the backbone of that novel. So in terms of being a learned skill, obviously it's a curriculum inside of the studies that you've done to be creative, a creative writer, a writer. Did you naturally think you're inclined to be creative? I and mean, how did you assess that, hey, look, I'm naturally inclined to be creative? How would one know? No, that's a really good point. How would one know? My understanding of my creative storytelling came early but it wasn't an understanding of how I could monetize it. It was just an understanding of what I liked and then eventually became something I couldn't escape from. So I just leaned into it. So I started telling stories heavily in second grade when I wrote kind of the unhappily ever after of Cinderella and my teacher loved it and had me show it to the class. And it was just a very fun experience. And then in, I was about 17 and I started going, Ooh, I want to write something inspired me. And then as I grew and I started taking classes in a university, I really wanted to explore that creativity more, but at the same time, kept hearing that voice in my head and the voices around me. Oh, writers don't make money. There's no (laughs) money in this. There's no career future in that. And it wasn't coming from my parents. It was just coming from that societal aspect. Yes, yes. But once I leaned in fully to the idea of being a writer and that creative space, I just learned from other people and saw what other people were doing in terms of how to monetize it. And I kept graciously falling into these areas that worked for me, such as the travel writing, which is a space a lot of people want to break into. And, and to be honest, it just worked out for me, which yeah, is yeah. lovely. But yes. I wouldn't say <laughs> that I was like traveling with the mindset of, I'm going to be a travel writer. Now I couldn't imagine anything different. Anything else. Now there's a two part question I've got for you. One is about getting the support from your, your beautiful wife. How important was that? And, um, did you do this driven initially out of love and nothing else? Love for writing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was trying to, it, I wouldn't say nothing else. It, It was it was love and a compulsion. And part of that comes from how I referenced my, my grandparents and even my parents earlier, the stories they would share when I was growing up were the things that I always resonated with. And even an understanding of myself that when I got into university, I originally was going to study history because to me, history is just stories. And I was really compelled by those stories, no matter from where or when. And then when I realized, you know what, I'm just going to lean into the creative aspect and do a minor in storytelling and, and follow this path down with the Italian language and literature, which did a lot of, I did more the literature side than the language side. But again, these ideas about storytelling. So when I say compulsion, it's just, I I just was drawn to it. I wanted Mm -hmm. to hear more stories and then share those stories along the way. And my wife has been a hundred percent supportive. Yep. I think, I can't say it helped or hurt, but when we first, we actually met in high school. So we were what, 15 or 16 when we met, wow. but we, 
it was 10 years before we had our first date. So it, <laughs> it wasn't uh, anything like the, the sparks didn't necessarily fly when we were in high school. Initially, but yeah. Around. yeah. And we were both a bit established in, in our directions at the time. And it was just mm -hmm. this great idea of being able to being able to encourage and support each other on those paths at that point. Yeah, that's wonderful feedback. I, I'm sitting here and I think to myself, well, um, you've done all this work and, and, and you've created all these wonderful uh, books. How, actually, how many um, books have you written thus far? Yeah, so Life Between Seconds is my eighth novel to be released, and I have a ninth one set for release late 2023, early 2024. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I'd like to know when you decided, oh, actual fact, I've got a different question here. It's, it's really interesting how marketing has a kind of a double-edged sword. You can use it, um, uh, sorry, storytelling has a double-edged um, double meaning because you can use it in your marketing, but you can use it fundamentally to write the book as well. How, how have you intertwined the two? Is, is there a balance there? Oh, 100% balance. But I would definitely say that my storytelling and understanding of storytelling does help me market. It's yeah. just a type of marketing. So I have to be aware that I'm not going in trying to give a 500 word summary of my story every time I put it on social media or I talk to a radio host. I have to understand what that one sentence or two sentences are that's going to get people's attention. I have mm -hmm. to understand what I'm actually reaching out towards. This idea especially I'm really active on LinkedIn. So there's so many people on LinkedIn who give you the idea of first, first state the audience's pain points, then reiterate another pain point, then you demonstrate your understanding, and then you t sell them essentially the salve for their pain points. And it's different because with a novel, it's like, well, what pain point am I solving? Well, either boredom or entertainment or these other things. So it's very different than saying I have a product, but my novel is still a product that I have to understand how to market well. And because I know that stories sell best, then I come up with the story around those pain points that I'm trying to push on the people. I make it sound really bad when I say pain no, 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 <laughs> not at all. That makes a hell of a lot of sense, and I really appreciate having that uh, you having that different perspective because it's either one or the other for many authors. But you've been able to bring it together and and turn it into a business. Now, before we talk about that side of your world, tell us a bit about Life Between Seconds. What's this all about? Yeah, so Life Between Seconds is a novel about a twenty-something-year-old American and a seventy-something-year-old Argentinian woman and the friendship they forge, and that friendship saves them from the nightmares of their past. And it was really based upon a combination of my experience traveling. So there's a veiled biographical aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that it's, it's, it's not necessarily anywhere close to my life as a child or even as a 20 something, but just mm -hmm. there are travel elements and there's part of the main character, Peter, the protagonist that I saw myself in and then he grew from that which I think is a very common thing for a first time novelist. Cause I wrote this, I started writing this story in 2011. So it wasn't the first novel that I published, but it was the first novel that I wrote. Ah. And then with Sophia, she has this, she suffers from this, uh, the pain of losing a child. And when I was writing this, I was trying to get into the head of like, what would my mom feel like if she lost a child? And then my grandparents, my, my grandmother specifically, I had this image in my head of who they were and how I could instill them 
into this character. And so it created this kind of sassy gumption, uh, woman filled with gumption. And, yep. and I loved her and I loved the way that she developed. But because of those experiences, and then when I was traveling in Argentina and I saw the Madres de la Plaza de Mayo marching for answers about their children or husbands or brothers or friends who were disappeared during the junta in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. And it, it just struck me. And it struck me for a lot of reasons, familiar reasons, reasons that my family, friends of family connected to the Holocaust, mm -hmm. World War II, that I, I really felt compelled to tell this story. But I felt like I needed my own gateway into that. And then Peter, the male protagonist, helped me act as the gateway. He kind of was this Trojan uh. horse to meet Sophia and let Sophia's story blossom in that way. There seems to be a really good segue here between, you know, your work as a travel writer and culture. Tell us a little bit about how impactful different cultures have been on you and your writing over the over time. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's one of the things that I enjoy most about travel writing. I mm. love when I am put in a completely different environment that has no connection to what I'm familiar with, even <laughs> language wise. I, yep, yep. I was I'm trying to remember where I was. I think my wife and I went to Egypt and that was a huge trip for us. That was always the place my wife wanted to go the most. And it was from the moment we touched down, I had this big smile on my face and my wife looks at me and she's like, you're in your element right now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I am because I know no Arabic. The last time I spoke Arabic was when I was in Jordan in 2011, mm -hmm. I think it was. No, 2010. So it was, it was like <laughs> none of that, none of that would, would even resonate with me now. But the main thing is that the cultures that I interact with and that I learn from touch me. And I learn so many stories from locals about what their life is like and whether the local culture or the national culture or the religious culture impact those lives or whether it's separate from those things. Yeah. And it also informs how I tell stories because I don't, having traveled around so much, I've been to 48 countries and I'm hoping to get to 50 by the time I'm 40. So that's, that's my <laughs> big goal. But the main thing I've learned through that process is that visual storytelling doesn't actually tell the story. It doesn't share the impact of the experience. And I've learned that through all the times that I've been somewhere and I've seen something and I couldn't really explain it to somebody until I started going deeper into the sensorial details. So like, how did it smell? How did it sound? How did the water at Iguazu Falls feel as it kind of misted around my body? Yes. Those are the ways that I've been able to really impact other people. And those are the ways that I feel the cultures impact me throughout my senses. As a refined traveler, um, you would have more specific places that you would like to uh, become destinations in the near future. Do you have somewhere in particular lined up that you really want to go? Oh, I am so eager to go to Ethiopia. And I, the two places I'm so eager to go to are actually both in political turmoil right now. Yeah. So <laughs> Ethiopia and Sri Lanka are two places that I'm so eager to visit and they're so different and uh, they have such interesting histories that are both separate from the neighboring countries and yet intertwined in ways that people aren't necessarily familiar with. And I'm fascinated by that. And I'm fascinated by the ancient histories of these places and the, the food, the respective foods in these places. I just... I am eager to dive headfirst deep into these places. 
<laughs> As a reflective question for you, Douglas, given all the travel that you've done and life you've lived so far and the family that you've created and all the love that you have around you with your family, what makes life worthwhile for you? What's the one thing that life has taught you that you embrace, that you love the most, do you think? Connection. connection. It, is, it is all about connection, the relationships that I make. And that is, that, that it's a broad, it's a broad answer but mm. it relates to everything it's the connections yep. i have with my family with my daughter with my wife with my parents my brother's sister my nieces nephews etc my friends but it's also those connections i make with new people when i'm traveling with new communities and it creates this web that i'm both fascinated and inspired by every day because i see it in new ways i when my book came out there were people that i haven't talked to in 10 years who were congratulating me who live in Australia, who live in England, who live across the States. And they're people that I still value those relationships and those connections that I made. And the fact that they're still in tune with and in touch with me enough to even say congratulations or to buy the book and to be part of my life still. And all those memories that pop up just by them saying hello. So connections are endlessly enriching. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the My Future Business brand is about helpful people, helping people. It's all about the human connection for without each other. What do we have? Now, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your involvement with fiction, screenwriting and travel writing. Do you have a favorite? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't know if I have a favorite because they all come back down to the idea of storytelling, but I will mm. tell you that they all, they all intertwine. They yeah. all give me something different. Uh, one, I love fiction because it allows me to stretch my creative muscles by making something completely new up and not having to worry about somebody calling it out for being untrue because it's supposed to be untrue. <laughs> I love travel writing because of all the things that I mentioned, the connections that I make, but also the experiences I'm able to share with other people through those writings. Yeah. Yeah. And then I love screenwriting because it's a different medium for storytelling. It allows me to flex a different muscle and showcase a different type of story. So instead of diving deep into the emotional interiority of a character that I can do in my fiction, I have to find out, well, how can I put that in one sentence in a, a direction on the page, right? Like, well, how is the actor going to act? Yes, well, yes. How he smile? So it's a completely different, unique form of storytelling that I also love. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, you write for yourself, but you also write for others. Tell us a little bit about your writing and your services. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so my writing services for others really come back down to storytelling and the story that other people are trying to tell. And a lot of that is ghostwriting. A lot of it is me coming from behind the scenes and having to interview people to understand what it is they're trying to express. Because a lot of times they think the story is about one thing or they want the story to be about one thing, uh -huh. yep. but it really is about something completely different or the way that they need to get to that one goal is not the way that they expect it. So it's about eking out those real important details to get to that. And another way is developmental editing. It's similar because we're trying to figure out what story the writer's trying to express and how, but we're doing it through the work they've already created. And we're going through and seeing what works, what doesn't work, where they need to expand, where they need to figure out the characters more. And they're all very different types of storytelling, but they're equally rewarding. Absolutely. Do you work with beginners as well as oh, advanced people? Because there's a lot of people out there that really don't have a clue, but they've got this, this idea, this passion to do this, but they don't know how. Oh, absolutely. I work with beginners all the time. My major thing with working with beginners is actually 
I don't want to say I turn beginners away, but I do ask beginners when they come to me to really look into their why. What is the purpose? Are they, do they want to just publish a book? Do they want to publish a book traditionally? Do they want it to be self-published? Is it to get a story out before X happens? Or is it just something they're tinkering around with? Because a lot of times people don't want to spend the money uh, when they're just tinkering, but they're willing mm -hmm. to spend it when they have a drive. And then I'm here to help them fulfill that purpose, especially because as you mentioned earlier, writing a book is hard and the methodologies you need to put in place to make sure you stick through those hard moments is really important. Otherwise you're going to have five half finished novels. Yes, absolutely. Well, speaking about half finished, do you have anything uh, on the cards for you at the moment? Do you, are you putting uh, pen to paper? Definitely. I actually have two different novels. One is kind of uh, an expression of if Quentin Tarantino wrote Indiana Jones. That, huh. that is this novel. Wow. And, <laughs> That's a, what a combination. Yeah, it's it, it comes with an interesting story about a friend and I talking about how Indiana Jones 4 was so terrible. And I thought he had mentioned that Quentin Tarantino had offered to write and direct Indiana Jones 4. Uh, yes. which just I misheard but that's what I thought he said so I mentioned it to him and then we loved the idea so much that I wrote a short script that looked like it and then I just turned it into a bigger novel so <laughs> that's one thing and then another thing is if uh it, it's a novel it's a YA novel about six teenagers it's essentially the breakfast club meets sleepaway camp meets the Great British Bake Off. Those are the three things combined. Love Those it. are the two projects I'm working on heavily right now. Thank you so very much. I've really loved this call now. Um, we'll have a lot of uh, interested people on this call uh, who are after both your books and your services. So tell us a little bit about how people are going to connect with you and where they're going to go to find you. Absolutely. You can find me on my website, douglasweissman.com, just first name, last name.com. I was lucky to get that one. Easy. And then I'm also really active on LinkedIn. Again, Douglas Weissman. I post there five days a week. I respond to everybody who messages me. And I, you can see me also reading one page of my book, Five Days a Week, Life Between Seconds, on Instagram. I film it. I put a couple of different things involved, such as photos and a soundtrack to make it a little more experiential. But mm -hmm. the idea was just to demonstrate just to demonstrate kind of how, how different the book is and also get myself out there for, for people who are interested. Absolutely love this call. If you're on the call today and you've enjoyed this, you want uh, access to the books and the services that Douglas provides, make sure you visit again, douglasweissman.com. I'll be making sure that the links back to uh, Douglas and all of his wonderful work are available to you below this post, no matter where you see, you're gonna find the link. So again, uh, Douglas, what a great call. Thank you so very much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.